You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. everybody this is in liberty and health episode 21 i'm very excited to talk to tho bishop today florida man i think he was wrestling alligators or something before he hopped on he was a little sweaty but he cleaned himself up so we're all good <laughs> how you doing man i'm uh, doing great man good. glad to join you awesome yeah well this has been a conversation that i've been looking forward to a long time and it's knocking down my ego to read your tweets and see some of the things that you say because i first heard of you when you debated dave smith mm-hmm. and I don't want to go on too long of a tangent, but I come from the automotive field, which is just strictly blue collar guys and surrounded by boomer cons. And it's funny because we would agree on almost everything. And I told him, well, I don't like Trump for this reason, this reason, this reason. And we'll probably get into this a little bit later. And then it was like a light switch. As soon as I told him I just did vote for Trump, I didn't like Trump. They just the whole it was like a, they flipped the light. You know, it was it was ridiculous. But um that kind of pushed me away from the political right and when i heard you debate dave and um even brian on lines of liberty um initially i'm like man fuck this guy what the fuck you know he don't like the libertarian party what the fuck man he's a libertarian what is this you know don't you know what they did to ron paul in 2008 2012 and then uh after a while i kept kind of looking at things and i saw how some people were acting on twitter from the libertarian party in specific and (laughs) it, it 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 kind of humbled me to a degree and i began to realize i'm like maybe that's the reason why he says uh, eh. <laughs> maybe the gop is the way to go so um real quick uh just kind of give everybody a background um on how you kind of came to where you are now yeah uh well i started off my my 
dad, I came into a, a very political family. My, my father was actually communications director for the RNC. Uh, he got that job the day before uh, uh, the, the vice president was indicted. So, uh, you know, he, he got to live there about the peaks of the gold of the uh, whitewater uh, stuff, Watergate stuff, um, had me later in his life timing wise. Um, and so I, I kind of was born into Republican politics and then 2008 happened. And I'd already kind of realized that the Iraq war was a disaster. And then this financial crisis comes and, you know, all of the, the talking heads that, you know, used to be the, the wisdom of Republican politics were all wrong about everything. And that's what kind of when you know discovered Ron Paul went down that route, and you know seeing how he was treated by the Republican Party, um, you know I, I, I kind of took the the perspective that you know there's no way that that the Republican Party itself is ever going to be good, but we can perhaps find a few good candidates here and there and support the 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 Moshes and the Masseys and the Rand Pauls and that sort of stuff. But you know for the most part, there's not a lot of hope to be had in politics. And and then this Trump thing happened. And, and what, what surprised me about the Trump thing is that I, I ran for office myself in 2014. Um, fundraising was an issue, but every time I went to a debate, I would talk about the ideas. I was, you know, I'd have some people following me from those events. And all the people that supported me in 2014 wore almost to a T Trump feet people come 2015. And that's when I realized that I've got to, you know, kind of, real, kind of realign where I'm thinking. Because if the people that in my community care about what I care about, if they're attracted to this Trump guy, then maybe I need to look beyond a lot of the, the stuff that I just thought was cartoonish about the guy. Mm -hmm. And when I recognized that, that you know, what, what Trump became was kind of a symbol of, it was a middle finger <laughs> to all of the enemies on that, that I hated, right? A lot of the same people within the Republican Party itself that had done Ron wrong back in 2012. You know, on the, you know, all the Democrats, all that sort of stuff. You know, he was you know, the foreign policy. I mean, he basically said Bush did 9-11 during the South Carolina debate. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that, okay, this, this is an interesting phenomenon going on because what happened is that I went from being, you know, the fringe Ron Paul guy, you know, who people like, but oh, you're, you're crazy, to being the mainstream. And... That's when I started getting interested in, okay, well, what is exactly this, this movement and this party structure? And then the problem is that, of course, Trump becomes president and, and you know, there's all sorts of ways that he doesn't live up to the, the call, right? You know, he, he appointed a, an Obama guy to be the Federal Reserve nominee. Uh, he made the executive producer of Batman versus Superman, Treasury Secretary and Steve Mnuchin. Um, you know, you have the red flag laws, you have, you know, it's, it's, there's plenty of these things that, that Trump did that were disappointing. But the movement that he attracted, the people in his wake kept getting more and more radicalized. And so now you have a point where the majority of the Republican base hates the FBI. Now they hate the FBI because the FBI was unfair to Trump, but they hate the FBI. You know, they, they're, they're distrustful of the Supreme Court, even with a conservative bent. They hate the majority of the Republicans in D.C. Uh, they, they hate the left. You know, they're, they, they're, they're, they're watching Tucker Carlson, who is the most anti-war person to occupy a major cable news position mm -hmm. uh, since like the best of like Chris Matthews back in the day. And, and so you look around and, and, you know, 
what I, I think libertarians often make a mistake is that we get so fixated in kind of the objective value of a person, whereas like the Austrian school is all grounded in subjective value, right? The, the, the value of a good is not inherent in the good itself, but it is the way that it's perceived by the consumers. And, and so what, I, what I've been trying to push is a message that all of the critiques that anyone may have about Republican politics, about Trump, about all of these things that we as libertarians kind of roll our eyes at, right? You know, we, we don't need the, the declar, you know, we, we don't need a pledge of allegiance to, to feel that sort of heritage of sort of American liberty, right? Like that's not our version of patriotism. But we have to recognize that a lot of this stuff that may not be our cup of tea, it does matter to people who now feel that they are the enemies of the state. And so if, if you're interested in politics, politics is not about being right. Politics is about getting as many people to support your cause as possible. And so if we, if we want to do politics, then we must recognize that we must be building our ideas to be relevant to the most amount of people possible. And I would argue that where the greatest number of people that again share our enemies and view themselves as the enemy of the state, it is the 50, it, it, it's over 70 million people voted for Trump. Of that, uh, various polls show about 70% believe the election was stolen. Mm -hmm. That basic math right there goes to 50 million people that believed democracy in this country that knows, that understands that democracy in this country on a federal level is an illeg illegitimate scam now. And now that's even multiplied furthermore, thanks to inflation, thanks to let's go Brandon chance, right? Thanks to everything else that's gone worse ever since. And so, so to me, it's like, if, if we can identify what gives us the best chance to get as many people as possible to, to, to take an anti-regime message, this is what, th that is the audience I'm trying to play for, not the 1% that considers themselves, that, that, that is really dedicated to that label, the L, L word. Because mm -hmm. to me, the, I, I, the label of the, the libertarian word is less to me meaningfully than liberty and standing against the regime. So that's kind of my pitch right there. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> no, dude, that was a uh, absolutely phenomenal pitch. I, I kind of wanted to go with steel manning your argument and kind of sum up how I interpret what you say, but I, I couldn't think of a better way to do it than you just kind of laid it out there. That was, uh, that was essentially kind of where I was coming from because the Trump phenomenon is definitely something, but my I'm a little torn on this because my personal experience and my antidote is not data is that a lot of these people, they may be radicalized currently, but it's just because it's not their guy in charge, right? Because a lot of these people legitimately think that if Trump was in, there'd be no inflation, there'd be no vaccine right. mandates. Although Trump did say my vaccine saved 100 million right. lives and to the base's credit, they booed him at an Alabama yes. rally. But most of the guys I know personally, and once again, antidotes, not data. There's probably plenty of other people who have a completely different experience for me. And once again, that's part of the reason why I want to bring you on. Um, these people are, they're not quite as pro-vax as the left, but they're not quite as on solid ground. And I've heard a lot of libertarians say that the Republican base now is kind of like a heard without a leader mm -hmm. that kind of rings true because to the ridiculousness that is social media how they censored trump he essentially can't lead them in the right direction and 
to Trump's large credit, the one greatest thing that I think he did, and I think you would agree, is sowing the distrust in the general establishment. And I really don't think that there's anyone else who could have did something similar to that. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from Trump is that he did, you know, sow that distrust of the media, of the establishment. But my question is, do we think it's just now because there's a Democrat in charge or is this an actual principled stance in my opinion? And you're free to tell me that I'm wrong and convince me because I'm definitely open to hear you out. To me, it doesn't seem like it's a principled stance. It just seems like it's just Joe Biden in charge. And then as soon as Trump's in charge, if he gets in charge again or whatever terrible Republican they put in um, or even a good one on the bad things they do, they'll never call out them for the bad things and they'll praise them for the good things, which they should. But the goal should be to criticize them when they're wrong and praise them when they're right. So that way we're going in the right direction. I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a long tangent, but that's kind of my point. Is it a principled objection? No, I don't think it is. Um, And because like very rarely do you get that. Most people Mm -hmm. are not, you know, they, they, they have some sort of, I mean, this is not, not, not to, be dismissive of them, but like you sure. know, they're they they don't think a lot in terms of ideological principles or sort of very you know strongly invested mm-hmm. views, right? Right, right. Yeah, I I agree but, completely. And I'm sorry but, to cut but, you off, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, this is something I think a lot of libertarians have trouble with, and myself included here. But a lot of people don't recognize that not everybody sits down and reads Rothbard right. or Mises every night. Politics is a little bit more passive to them, where someone like us or libertarians especially we're so hyper focused on it whereas we don't have that elevator pitch the same way that maybe trump or republican would so i'm I'm sorry to cut you off but i just wanted to emphasize that that's a very important point that not a lot of people kind of recognize for what it is yeah and and one of the aspects to that too and and because because of because as libertarians we take a tremendous amount of pride in the work that we've done to become libertarians right Mm -hmm. you you don't become a libertarian yeah some people you know there's there's always a few but like for the most part like it's it's it's, it doesn't give you get you much right that label you 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 embrace it because you're really excited about you know i don't care if it's atlas shrug i don't care if it's ron paul i don't care if it's the marijuana issue i don't care if it's ross obrick whatever there's usually something that gets you really really excited to care enough about these philosophical ideas to want to engage in this and the problem is is that your vote counts as much as somebody that is voting for a candidate because taylor swift told them to right and so that's the problem is that like and, and so that, that's also why, like the, the the last thing you ever want to call a political party is the libertarian political party, because you're immediately like making yourself attractive only to the people that are going to actually do the research to figure out where you're standing. Like, right? Mm-hmm. So, like that's that's kind of the issue there. So, so to the point though about the principled stand aspect, would Pete? I I, I think one of the really really neat things like it, it does is there a personality cult around Trump? Absolutely. Are there, is there a percentage of the Republican, Republican base right now? Uh, and let's say it's, it's not a marginal, it's not a tiny one. I mean, I, I think it's probably a good, let's say 10%, mm-hmm. maybe 12%, whatever, you know, that is a one issue Trump voter. If Trump says the sky is green, they will vote tomorrow that the sky is green, right? Yeah. But, but and 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 the thing is, a lot of them are not traditional voters, right? So they, they that's that's kind of yeah. it's, it's grown the party. Like there, there's a value, you know, there's a value in that vote, but it itself is not the it, it, the monoculture of this sort of current right movement. 
And you see this again, I think the vaccine issue is so important. I mean, um, you, you, you're absolutely correct to highlight where the base boot them on that. Mm-hmm. The, that. That I think is one of the biggest shows is that, it, that, that the distrust of the regime, in this case, big pharma accounts as much as the Pentagon, that runs deeper than Trump. Trump can't hide that. And you think about it, I mean, you know, the, the, the Q, uh, uh, you know, fever swamp sort of thing, ultimately, like, that was kind of, you know, the, kind of the underlying, you know, zeitgeist there was the degree to which how sinister this thing really is, and they're just kind of hoping that someone's going to solve it. Like, their distrust of the system goes deep. I, I would much rather have a QAnon person who is convinced that we're rolled by satanic pedophiles than a Cato libertarian that thinks they're one white paper away from changing opinion in, in congressional circles, right? The, the Q person is closer to the truth than the Cato person, right? And that, that, that's again, it's not to say that, that you know, but like yeah. that's, that, that's sort of energy there, right? And so, so what you have, and, and you've also seen it played out with um, endorsements. Mm-hmm. Trump endorsements don't always work out. And so again, that shows it's, it's more than simply, there is that, that, that blind, pure cult of personality around Trump but it's not the, the complete guiding hand. Now, it's still not a principled stand because you know, a lot, the, the, are there a lot of Republicans that would be defending the current state of things if Trump was office? Absolutely. Thankfully, he's not though. Like, thankfully, thankfully we don't have to consider the, high, the, the alternative scenario where Trump is in office in 2021 and we're trying to explain to Trump voters that their boy is responsible for inflation and not China trying to under you know, under attack mm-hmm. their man, right? We don't have to worry about the counterexample anymore because now what you have is Americans that are feeling material distress mm-hmm. in a way, and, and you know, probably going forward, right? This inflationary virus environment is not going away. We now have a situation where Americans are going to feel materially worse off in a way that they have not since the, the, 70, you know, the early 80s that, that ushered in Reagan. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have not dealt with serious inflation since then. And so the thing is, is that, you know, we should be taking advantage of let's go brand and energy. And what we should, instead of trying to relitigate the past and explaining, again, there's a role for this, right? We, we mm-hmm. want to have the people in charge recognize that the consequences of all of this monetary expansion and spending and everything that Trump was really bad at and Paul Ryan was really bad at and John mm-hmm. Boehner was really bad at and all these sort of Republicans are really bad at going forward. We need to recognize that this is a systemic problem that isn't simply stop the Democrats. But electorally, all we need is 70, you know, is, is 80 million people to not want Democrats in office in order for those levers of power to be changed. And so the question is, what is going to be the guiding ideology of the next decision-making part of the political apparatus? Mm-hmm. And I think this is why it's so important for libertarians, particularly Austro-libertarians, to engage with the new right, the populist right, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the American conservatives, the, the, the Pedro Gonzalez's, the Tucker Carlson's. We need to be coming to them as fellow travelers, as allies, so that we can be having the conversations necessary to be helping to guide where that swing of the political spectrum is going to go. Because while I do not know if we're going to be persuasive enough to get Tucker Carlson to become a Rothbardian and cap overnight, what I do know is that if we do not have libertarians speaking with influence within this 
right wing that is going to be able to take advantage of the distress and the chaos and the disruption of the Biden years. If we don't, if we're not in those rooms, then whatever comes out of those rooms is necessarily going to be less libertarian than it would be otherwise. And so again, we have this giant tidal wave of anti-Washington angst because of bad policies from both sides. We need to be trying to figure out what are the ways to funnel it in the, not only the best outcomes from a libertarian perspective, but also the least disastrous outcomes because we know they're going to be outcomes. <laughs> There's going to be consequences politically. And so we can either try to play the game in a meaningful way, or we can try to play the role of critic on the outside and you know, we, we might be more right. Like, you know, the, the, the critic is, is, you might be more right than the person in the arena, mm-hmm. but there's a whole lot more critics than there are men in the arena. And ultimately it's the men in the arena that end up dictating, you know, how all this power is wielded. God damn. I'm, I'm so upset because I, I had, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound any kind of way, but I had a way that I expected this podcast to go and a way that I expected you to speak about certain issues and to certain issues. And you've done exceptionally well at opening my mind a little bit more to the GOP route to the Trump moment. And not that I'm fully on the GOP thing necessarily, but my own ego, it was projecting that, oh, well, you know, it's just, let's take advantage of dumb Trump voters to get them to do, you know, libertarian bidding, which that's kind of there, but. It's, it's, it's not that they're dumb. It's just that they, yeah. they, they, they well, don't. That, that's, I'm sorry, but that, that was kind of my assumption of what was going on here. And, and like I said, this is a lot of projection and ego on my part for assuming anyone who wants to work with the GOP's motive. Um, I think your case is very, very solid and a lot more solid than I initially thought. And I've tweeted you this a million times, but as you speak more and more and I hear your case out more and more and I see you talk to the libertarians more and more, I'm more open to this idea. And I've been kind of talking to a lot of people about the libertarian and GOP divide. And I kind of want your feeling on this, but um, in my opinion, if the libertarian route is successful, so let's say the Mises caucus goes out and mm-hmm. does what they want to do. So they run Dave Smith 2024, and we're just talking strictly fantasy land, right? Um, they do a bunch of local elections, and they're very successful locally. And we actually kind of see that here in Pennsylvania. Um, I know we we're tweeting back and forth about it, but over 100 elected libertarians, and some of them really aren't that great of seats, but you know, whatever, it's still something. Election, yeah. Right. Um, so this happens all throughout the country and libertarians are successful, then I feel like that's still a victory even for the GOP liberty guys, because we have the same goals, but you know, let's say your route and what you want is more successful and it goes your way as in the GOP base becomes a lot more Rothbardian, Misesian, a lot more Austrian based. Then the libertarian people win as well. Now, obviously not the K to a reason libertarians right, like sure. you were saying earlier, because they don't care about that. Right. Um, do you think it's a win either way because in my opinion the way i look at it like i said it's we both want the same ends it's just different means um and the way that i assess it from your perspective is that you think the gop is a more effective means of doing that yeah and and my argument is not the typical 
I hate the LP because it swings elections away from the GOP. And I think mm-hmm. typically, you know, it, 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 I, 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 there's a lot of data that does, shows it really isn't the case. Like the people that come up and vote L, LP, you know, wouldn't have voted otherwise. And so I, I'm not trying to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it has a, an optics perspective, for example, like I don't blame like Shane Hazel, for example, for the, the runoff thing. A lot of mm-hmm. Georgia Republicans would. And unfortunately, yeah. truth is what the people believe, that subjective value aspect too. And so like, <laughs> yeah. and mentally, that's going to be a block for like, say, you know, so that, that, that Shane Hazel has going to have to deal with dealing with the Republicans. I don't think he cares, but like theoretically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my argument about the, about the LP has nothing to do with the spoiler aspect or like, you know, I'm trying to look out the best interest of Republicans. Instead, I think my, my criticism is simply that if you're going to go through and be a part of a party, the party should provide value to you. And so what you have right now is that, so like, for example, the, the Mises caucus is able to provide value th- for the candidates it endorses. It does it because it's a super PAC, it collects donations, and therefore, if they endorse you running for your city council seat in Pennsylvania, it's doing so knowing that you are a capital L libertarian. It is not a partisan race, so therefore, the party issue is less of an issue, and they, can, and, and they write you a $1,000 campaign check, and a $1,000 campaign check means a lot in a city council, in a lot of city council races. My perspective is, so that, that's why I think that the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus is the best part of the LP. It's got the best people from the LP. And that's why I don't like Liberty Unity because I don't, I, I like it making, yeah, I like the, the dis- clear distinction of the LP Mises Caucus, identifying <laughs> the Libertarian capital L's that you should take, that you should take seriously mm-hmm. and those who you should not. Because there's anyone that's a capital L libertarian and not in the Mises caucus, you yeah. can safely discard them. Yeah, real quick, I, I wanted to read this tweet because it, it made me laugh my ass off that you tweeted out. Uh, I endorsed John Phillips for LP yeah. chair. With, with the degeneracy that he was kind of spewing, this in, in the last couple of weeks, because I just got back on Twitter, I've had Twitter for years. But when I see libertarians arguing about, you know, hey, privatized parks, right? Well, what about all the homeless people in the parks right now? Privatize the parks. Right. Like, and I was talking with uh, Pete Quinones about this a couple episodes ago. Um, I look at this the same way when people say, because I'm a health guy too, people say, well, I want to lose weight. People just say, caloric deficit. They'll just yell at them. Well, yeah, you need that. But the problem is you're not telling them how to achieve that. So you could tell people privatize the parks all day, but there's no actionable advice there. So when i see you saying hey we need to buy bitcoin we need to buy gold and i'm more of a gold guy than i'm a bitcoin guy but regardless you're giving people solutions it's not just shouting privatize the parks which it frustrates me when i see people saying stuff like that it's like okay well we're being taxed right now there you know these parks are being abused in the public um we have to pay for police anyways so i mean look we're not gonna be in ancapistan tomorrow so what is the solution right now Right. Well, and the thing is, too, is that there's, there's such a different dynamics in terms of like, you know, I've, I've been in big, I've lived in big cities, dealing mm-hmm. with police, and that is very different than dealing with my local sheriff. I'm a yes. local sheriff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that also kind of, there's kind of just that larger cultural, cultural divide between city and, and rural areas. Like mm-hmm. sometimes the, the words, the language we're using is just fundamentally different because the, the, the life is just, you know, just, it's a different thing. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, like there, there are a lot of libertarians, they, libertarianism to them is less something to be made actionable in our lifetimes as much as it's almost kind of like a mental game that they play 
and you know, try, to try to figure out the leaps to where, like how free markets solve this problem better than the alternative. I mean, that's great. Like, there's a role for that. There's a role for libertarian theory. And, yeah. and the problem is, is that most people doing it on Twitter are not doing it very seriously. Um, they, just, they think they are, but, um, and, and, and so it, it's, it, it's a way of avoiding, okay, well, how, how, how am I going to, you know, who's gonna pick up my trash right now, right? It's like, yes, the market can do this in a more effective way than having your, your local government handle, you know, you, charge you a bill but right now you know there's, there's something to be said about having improving the quality of life of your community as a focus and if you do that you can't simply smack you snap your fingers and privatize things you have to think about okay well what are the logistical problems to providing these services uh, and, and and that's what like, I, I think that dynamic of um like the, the way that Corey DeAngelis treats the education center issue that was like you talk to Corey DeAngelis like he's a radical Rothbardian when it comes down to like his personal views on education. Mm-hmm. What he's been, what he's done is that he's taken kind of the next, that, that second step on the school choice voucher sort of thing. And he's used that to massively expand the, 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 the options in the, and by as, as an extension, the quality of education, because you've got more customized options out there and et cetera, et cetera. That, and, and he's now created a model that's being replicated around the country through Republican government, uh, politics usually. Like that is a massive change in the quality of life of real people. He's, he's not doing it as an abstract mental game. He's improving the lives mm-hmm. using policy because he was willing to engage with it as it is right now. And things, this is what Rothbard did. This is what Mises did. This is what a lot of the people who, we don't have to recreate the will. We can build up the shoulders of better men than us. And, and, and it's funny because like Rothbard kind of has different stages on this. Like if you read Rothbard in the 60s and read Rothbard in the 70s, he's much more of a, a, a radical left sort of thinker. He, he's all about, yes, uh, 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 you know, homestead the library, you know, the, you have, you have you have homestead government property, things like that. By the time he gets in the 90s, he recognizes that, okay, well, in the short term, until full privatization comes, instead of doing that approach, we should be trying to, you know, manage these things as, as, as well as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mises obviously does this because he was never an anarchist. You know, when, when you look at his, his his ideas for like how to solve like Austria, you know, like he, he's not simply saying, okay, we're getting rid of all taxes. And, you know, like he's, no, he's very pragmatic in this regard. And so you, I think you are correct. There's a lot of kind of libertarians out there that want to trend. They want to avoid having to take real life sort of stands that do not neatly fit in that box and instead try to play these mind games. And, and, and to me, like, and, and if people want to do that, it's fine, but just don't confuse that for political action, right? If, if that's mm. what you want to focus on, there's plenty of ways of helping the cause of liberty that have nothing to do with politics. Go, go do the Bitcoin stuff. Go, mm-hmm. go do all those things that, that you don't have to engage with politics and all of the, 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 the dark arts that goes with it. Like, I'm not trying to sell mm-hmm. this as the silver bullet path to liberty in our lifetimes. I'm mm-hmm. simply saying that if you do want to go down the process of politics, do it in a way, do it as politics actually is. Don't do it as the way you want it to be. Because mm-hmm. like, that's how, that's how you end up like, you know, just uh, as things are, uh, Ayn Rand quote, uh, uh, you can ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. And I think that's as true of <laughs> politics as anywhere else. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, completely solid. And it is frustrating even for me because I kind of got more into liberty space as it is. And I've been a libertarian for probably seven or eight years now, but um, I really started engaging with the ideas and learning about the scape more so within the last couple of years and especially the last two years, just because it, it's so in your face at this point that now you almost can't avoid it. But 
I think that's kind of what drove a lot of people to this whole post-libertarianism thing is because they got sick of, you know, trying to jump through hoops mm -hmm. and play mental gymnastics about how would this work in a free market. And, you know, they get sick of seeing people just tweeting at each other. We'll privatize this, privatize right. that. Well, once again, what are the practical steps to getting there? Because we can argue about this all day, but, you know, if you're still locked in your house, you're getting nailed to the box cart and sent down, you know, sent down the railroads. What good does it to have a 100% on your libertarian consistency card if you never get to live that out? In my, my life, I've been a freer person than the majority of the world because mm -hmm. a Trump endorsed Republican beat a Democrat by 33,000 votes in the 2018 election. And then this is kind of one of those things that really radicalized me on this issue, because, again, you know, we, we, is Ron DeSantis a libertarian? No. But Ron, Ron DeSantis has done more for my liberty than any libertarian ever has. And that includes the great Ron Paul, because he had the power and he stopped bad people from doing bad things to me, my family, my community. And, and I take that seriously because, you know, I, Bay County is the number one tourist dependent county in the entire state of Florida. You know, that's, that's from the state of Florida that says a lot. If we would have had lockdowns for any prolonged period of time, we would have had great depression level unemployment here. That would have created so much damage to so many, they would not have been able to, to like, particularly considering the housing prices here, you know, it might've been lower you know, otherwise, but like it's still pretty high, mm -hmm. uh, was, was prior to COVID. Simply relying upon the, the government handout check, they would not have been able to make it through and they depend on making money in season so that they can live on it the rest of the year. Instead, you know, tourist numbers have gone through the roof. I mean, we've had, you know, there's, there's, there's restaurants here that usually close in the winter that are opening up all year long because people keep coming here because mm -hmm. how dang free we are compared to the rest of the country. And so again, my community is materially better off because of one Republican politician who is not a libertarian. And so that's where it's so you have people out there that want to call Ron DeSantis an authoritarian because they don't like some law he just signed saying mm -hmm. you can't talk about Holocaust denial in public schools. And it's like, screw you. Like, like you know, you're not a serious person. You don't mm -hmm. care about living about, about my liberty at all. You are a threat to my liberty. If you pretend that Ron DeSantis is no different than Andrew Gillum and left mm -hmm. and right are both bad. Yeah, I, you know what, and this is another frustrating thing, and I hate to sound like I'm just punching libertarians constantly, but it, it's, it's the fact that a lot of them don't want to play to the facts on the ground, because look, it is not libertarian at all, and I'm sure every single libertarian agrees that it is not libertarian at all to ban vaccine mandates, right? Right. But if you interpret that in a vacuum, you're right. But when you look at 2020, when you have the federal government itself, right? Democrats telling you that you have to mandate this procedure when you have over 100 employees. And I've asked this question over and over and over again. What does that look like when you mandate that? Are police going to business places? You know, is this like a Gestapo thing where the neighbors telling the neighbors? What, what does this look like? It, it's, it's terrible. But when you have the federal government telling people that they have to mandate that, and Ron DeSantis says, well, we're going to make that illegal here. Is it perfectly libertarian? No. But is it going to kind of save everybody's ass in the meantime? Yes. But my only problem with this, and I'm curious on your take on it as well, um, the problem with trying to solve problems from the state with the state is that what's, what happens if, let's say, Ron DeSantis doesn't get back in? Now, someone who's completely opposite of Ron DeSantis, who's pro-lockdown, pro-vaccine mandates, can easily undo that. Um, that's my only question. Other than that, I agree with you 100%. 
I just I don't know the answer to that question. It's 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 a good question. Um, what I, it, some of the other aspects within it that shouldn't also not be overlooked when we're talking about you know this is perfect libertarian. You know, it's it's not simply the Biden mandates, but it's also the degree to which how much state funding has been pushed into the propaganda wing promoting the vaccines, the way that laws have been devised to protect to provide liability, which is a complete government privilege side of thing. And then another aspect here, and this is why I think it's important like we have to get serious about this sort of privatized tyranny aspect now, is that you know one, when you when we had such a low interest rate environment. Historically, low interest rates environments lead themselves to corporate consolidation, right? Because you know governments can borrow cheaper than they could be before. Mm-hmm. They they borrow cheaply to buy up and coming upstarts, right? That, you know, Facebook bought Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we've had again is kind of the leftist critique out there right, of you know, the the plot point of all of the little corporations that are now like six giant ones, right? We've never had a more consolidated corporate class than we have right now because right. We're, we're the products of a decade of insane clown world financial policies right. and the government loves these consolidated corporate uh, mm-hmm. corporations because they use them as weapons against us. Mm-hmm. So again, we have to have an answer to that now. And it's not simply private property rights for, for, for Disney. To the second point though, um, which is the most interesting one and it's become one of my favorites because the answer is that you don't lose. <laughs> because the problem is this, is that, because mm-hmm. the concern is, okay, mm-hmm. that, okay we're, we're gonna create a weapon and then we're going to lose the election. And now we're going to give the left this weapon. And that this weapon's very dangerous because we've made it very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's true. The problem is, is that the, the left can, can beat some boring, you know, Republican country club guy who does nothing like this mm-hmm. and then takes over. And then now they're, they're if, if they care, if, if they are, are ideologically committed, they're going to do whatever the hell they want anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the, the legal presidents have done nothing to restrain the left. The Constitution has done nothing to restrain the left. The only thing that restrains the left is the left not being in power. That there's no shortcut to that. That there's this typical t- tendency that's baked into kind of the, the classical liberal idea, right? That we want to separate the individual from the position because you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And therefore, when we structure our power systems, we must have all these complicated checks and balances to make sure that one man can't rise up. The problem is, is that, again, these checks and balances don't work. What, in order to protect your liberty, you need men in power that care about protecting your liberty. And there is no shortcut for that. And so, again, if, if, we are, if you are governed by tyrannical authoritarians and there is nothing to stop them, then they're going to do what they want, no matter what the predecessor did. And so that's why what we need is a is, is a, a opposition class. Again, let's let's again, I'm, I'm not even talking about ideologically. I don't care if, if you want to take over, uh, uh, you know, Vermont, and run a you know national socialist state in Vermont with Bernie style policies, but you are hostile to the regime of Washington. And you're going to, to engage in rebellion efforts, and you're going to try to keep as much money as you can so you can fund your own single payer healthcare system, then you're an ally to me. And what we need to be doing is getting allies that oppose the regime in positions of power. And then we need to tell them that it's okay to use this power to make the, ch- the sort of changes that, they, that, that, that they're, they're, they're there to do instead of tying their hands about around their backs and, and using. Uh, uh, political norms as a way of neutering 
the hostility to the regime while the regime continues to do whatever it's want. Because unfortunately, that's the way it typically works. The people that are elected for the purpose of, re of reversing all the corruption and grift that we've seen. Reagan was correct, was elected to repel great society programs and instead he built onto it. And it's because conservatives and libertarians and that whole intellectual class is afraid of using power in ways to actually accomplish what they want. The left has no such problems. And again, this is the interesting thing on the right right now is that you have people recognizing that it's not simply enough, saving this country is not winning an election, right? Stopping the Biden agenda isn't as simple as winning, as Republicans winning in 2022, because if Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House in 2023, who the fuck cares? Kevin McCarthy is an impotent little stupid man, and he's going to do nothing to stop the left, because he hasn't, he's spent his entire career not doing anything to stop the left. What, what becomes interesting is when history stops repeating itself, and when P, the, the, the Republicans that actually win and actually start leading, stop doing the way that these beautiful losers, to use Sam Francis's term, the way that they've acted in the past. And that's where things get fun. You're doing a, it's, it's a damn good job selling that kind of thing. I, I, I've heard it put in a way like that before, but it, it's absolutely true. And I kind of tweeted you a little bit earlier, but the right will not eat their own. The left isn't afraid to use yeah. whatever means possible. And not that that's necessarily commendable, but at the same time, you got to kind of recognize it for what it is. This is why the left has been successful is because they've been ruthless about getting done what they need to get done, even if it means throwing principles to the wind, because clearly they don't care. Well, and, and, and the, the core, and this is why, again, I, I think it's so important to have libertarians in this movement is because like, it is very easy to go off the cliff. And if the, you're only thinking kind of in this Machiavellian way and power is the only thing that matters, and that's, it, it is easy to lose sight of the principles. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that, right? You know, we're fighting for a cause. We're fighting for the greatest cause there is. We are fighting for human civilization. Mm -hmm. And if you are attracted to the ideas of the Mises Caucus, then you're attracted to the ideas of Austro-Libertarianism. And that means that you are attracted to the ideas necessary for the creation of a prosperous and peaceful civilization. So we have to do what it takes to get those ideas into the mainstream, make them politically relevant. And that, the, that process of weaponizing your ideas and making them represented in politics, that is a different discipline than your political theory. And, and so again, if you read Rothbard, particularly his 90s, 90s Rothbard is really where he gets into strategy, right? He never loses sight of who he is. And this has always been the critique. You have a lot of libertarians that they, they, they have to destroy Rothbard. They have to depict him as a you know, self-hating Jew, they have to depict him as a racist, they have to depict him as whatever term they want to use, yeah. because they are terrified of 90s Rothbard, because 90s Rothbard might be effective. And so that's, and it's like, what we need is we need libertarians not afraid of being called all those names, to learn from Rothbard, you know, look at Mises' experience in Austria prior to, you know, World War II. Guess mm -hmm. what, when he was given, the, when Ludwig von Mises was given the choice of you know, uh, letting the commies take over Austria, letting the Nazis take over Austria, or helping support the current regime that was fighting both of them. Like he joined the regime. He, 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 he joined power to stop what he saw as far greater threats. That, I, I think that 
anybody that wants to say that it's unlibertarian to join the GOP because they're the lesser evil, I'm okay with being as libertarian as Louis von Mises. Yeah. You know and what? Not, I, not a bit more. <laughs> I, I completely understand that. And I think this is where a lot of people get taken away from the LP as it stands right now. That is, I, I want to make that abundantly clear right. because I'm sure you agree that the LPMC is the greatest part of the L, LP. Right. Uh, um, I mean, you've established that plenty of times, but um. A lot of the Cato reason libertarians, Beltway libertarians, a lot of the libertarians that are in charge of Pennsylvania here, they they don't want to shake the apple cart. They want to be respectable. Right. They're not afraid to go for the jugular. And this was something to Trump's credit that he was really good at is was just ruthlessly going after people. And yeah, I mean, it, when it came to establishing things or getting things done, he was belly up every single time. Right. But the rhetoric and the way that he was able to talk and the way that he was able to encourage people there's something really really impressive about that and something that libertarians would be very very naive to dismiss as just big dumb orange man which is essentially what the left does but they don't understand that it's the populism the energy of trump the way that he speaks and the way that he empathizes with people even though i don't think necessarily all of it was genuine he was able to rile that out of people and that's something that libertarians and most republicans would be very very smart to take note of i i wish trump was as savage in his hiring policies as he was on twitter but you know <laughs> trump's trump's biggest issue is that he was, he was way too much of a softy mm -hmm. um but but you're absolutely right and, and the beauty of it is that like one of my favorite republicans out there is matt gates and you know does matt gates have votes i disagree with sure but fuck cares like it, it, he, he is well, what, what, it, he really is kind of a new generation of this sort of style. He's entertaining. His talk, yeah, I mean, he went, he traveled to Wyoming, the capital of Wyoming, to bash Liz Cheney in front of the, cap, the state capitol steps in her own backyard. Well, it's not really her backyard because she lives in Virginia, but, you know, theoretically her backyard. Yeah. And what he outlined in that talk was a Republican Party that I want to be a part of, that, that a Republican Party that's operationally meritocratic that is opposed to foreign wars. Like it's, it's great stuff. Mm -hmm. And so like that, those are the sort of people that get me excited. And, like, and, and we're seeing more of those pop up, like the Joe Kent's, the Anthony Sabatini's, they're running for Congress. Uh, uh, Blake Masters might be the best Senator in DC day one, sorry, Rand, but he's, he's awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and like, that's why like, what kills me is like, if, if, if Dave Smith wants to be a politician, I fully support it. But, like if Dave Smith ran, there, there was three Republicans in New York that, that voted for uh, the, the, the infrastructure bill. And you know, so you have a lot of Republicans upset. If, if Dave Smith primaried one of those Republicans in New York, he doesn't have to move. Like it, for Congress, you just have to, like, you know, you have to explain that away, whatever. But like, who cares? Congress is all a national game anyway at this point. If, if imagine Dave Smith on the House floor. Right. Dave Smith would be right at play with a Matt Gates style Republican Party. And he, I mean, he could win. And him winning would give like you want to talk about yeah, you, you know where I want to see Dave Smith speaking that liberty shit, that liberty fire, whatever the, the, the phrase is. You do that on the House floor. You do that when, when grilling Fauci. You do that when grilling a bureaucrat. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like a Matt, like that, that's the sort of possibilities. That's what I love about the Trump moment is that 
the Trump movement attracts people having fun. And there's nothing more dangerous in politics and more deadly to a regime than people in opposition having fun. And that's, that's why I want everyone to get uh, on this trade because we're, we're not tired of winning yet. Wow. Yeah, you know what? And I, that's something I hadn't considered. I, I heard you say it in a podcast, but um, there is something to that and something that even libertarians are missing as well. And this is part of the reason why I started this podcast is because I wanted to bring culture to libertarianism where, okay, this is great. You know, all the libertarian theory that there possibly is to know, okay, what else do you do? Right. right? I'm a podcast host. I'm an athlete. Um, I'm a mechanic. My dad owns a shop. Um, I play music. music. Yeah. Yeah. I bring a lot to the Liberty movement and I'm hoping to bring plenty of people in from different realms. Yeah. Well, Trump brought a lot of non-voters in with that same kind of energy, maybe not, you know, the ways that I would, but it, it's just a different way. And it teaches, it, there, there's a culture around it. And if you want to bring people in, then you have to have interesting people yeah. at the forefront, because if you're just a dude who knows all the libertarian literature and you got nothing else going for you, then you're not interesting to the average person. Yeah. If, yeah. Being a libertarian should never be the most interesting thing about you. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I'm very, very glad you said it. I'm very glad that there's other people that recognize that because I think a lot of people tend to almost market that about themselves. And when you look at the Libertarian Party of 2020, and I hate the best Joe Jorgensen because she is a good Libertarian, but very nice lady. <laughs> but when you see we have to be actively anti racist, right. a majority of Americans hate woke yep. stuff. And yeah, she kind of walked it back a little bit in literally the following tweet. But like, as soon as you say something like that, yep. the damage is done. Yeah, it's one of the biggest lies in America is that America is a racist country. And you Absolutely, so yes. You have so many libertarians that fall in this trap. And so they want to make the criminal justice issue purely about race and bullshit. It's not about race. It's about class. It's about police brutality. It's about the lack of accountability. But it's not about race. The people that want to push this racial narrative, that is the regime. I mean, literally, they, they, want, they, they want to push gay rights and Black Lives Matter. And you see that because that's what, exactly what they wave outside of the, 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 you know, the embassy of the Vatican. Yeah, look at their profile right? pictures that every gay pride month. And, and so if you think that you're being subversive and a threat to the, the man because you're really, really anti-racist and, and, and you really care about you know, LGBTQ plus plus you know, rights, I'm sorry, you are part of the ideology of the prevailing regime. You're not a dissident thinker. Mm -hmm. right you're, you're with every corporation in the country yeah yeah no that's that's absolutely true and it is hilarious to see people who think that they're opposing the regime by saying i'm pro-trans rights it's yeah. like look you're just cannon fodder for them you're you're a useful idiot yeah you, you have the same opinion as the cia congratulations <laughs> yeah all right well i know you're tight on time uh, like i said i need you to stick around for just a couple minutes right afterwards uh so go ahead plug your stuff and we'll get on out of here yeah you can find me at twitter at Tho bishop um uh, got a, a fun podcast i've been doing with some buddies up here in panama city uh redneck riviera on all major podcast platforms and then uh, i also got the rothbard a radio rothbard on mises.org as well cool cool all right well this was in liberty and health episode 21 everybody have a good night take care For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.